You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 12 of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast all about the underappreciated, unsung hero of a yoga practice, the wrist joint. I think the wrist is one of those topics that you kind of gloss over and don't pay too much attention to in teacher training until either you struggle with wrist issues or your students do. So then it becomes really obvious that it's a big deal in yoga. And the reason it's such a big deal is that I can't think of any other physical activity where you bear as much weight on your hands and your wrists as we do in yoga, especially not a form of physical activity that's kind of the the message out there is that yoga is this easy entry, this kind of gentle way to exercise, uh, low impact, and yet we are having a tremendous impact on this particular joint, the wrist joint. I think it's important to preface this episode by mentioning that I'm not qualified to give any kind of medical advice. So the advice I'm giving is based around adapting a yoga practice to make it work for your students and to reduce any soreness or discomfort that arises during yoga. And I'm not talking about addressing a particular wrist issue that's been diagnosed because you'd have to go to a clinician for that. One of the key principles of exercise science is progressive loading. So what that means is that you start with exercises where you can easily maintain control as a warm-up, and then you add a load, which could be in the form of complexity or weight, in a structured and incremental manner. So when you reach a point that you're struggling to maintain control of your form or your movement, that's when you know that you're done for the day or you need to rest or you need to deload by going down to an easier form of the exercise. So even people who do exercise a lot probably don't do a ton of weight bearing on their hands. What that means is that they'll, they can arrive at a yoga class with their hands, their wrists, and their forearms relatively deconditioned compared to the rest of their body. So that means that the muscles, bones, tendons, and ligaments in their fingers, hands, wrists, and forearms need time to adjust to new demands in order for them to safely bear your body weight. Depending on genetics, age, history of physical activity, and current movement diet, a human is going to have a a very individual amount of load that they can safely bear on their hands. Obviously, in a group class, we as yoga teachers are limited in our ability to even monitor that individual load, much less offer the exact right amount for each person. So I think it's important to be realistic about how much help we're able to offer. We want to do our best to support our students, but you're also, please know that you're not responsible for knowing and providing the exact right amount of load for each person in each class. 
that would be something that you could offer more in a private setting. Although even there, it's going to be a matter of trial and error because nobody has all-knowing superpower and every human is a little bit different. So what yoga teachers can do to help their students keep their wrists safe and healthy is one, you can modify your sequencing based on your population. If your students are mostly former gymnasts, if they're young and very fit and healthy, then you you may not even run into wrist issues. But if you have, if you know you have a lot of office workers or older people, I'm trying to think of what's what's the right term for that these days, Why, wiser people, wisdom warriors, some people call them, <laughs> then you might want to reduce the amount of time you ask them to bear weight on their hands in a single class. Or you could work in some of the modifications that I'm going to share with you later. You could work them into your instruction as like the basic obvious thing to do and let people opt out of the modifications if they prefer to. Number two, you can offer options. And this kind of speaks to what I was just talking about. I find it most effective to offer the easiest option, the most modified option first, and then invite students to try progressively harder slash more loaded options from there with the clear invitation to go back to the earlier version if they can either no longer perform the exercise with control or if they feel any kind of pain or discomfort. You might need to be kind of a broken record as you invite your students to listen to their body, especially in the territory of the wrists. I really believe that your wrist should not hurt in yoga. And I don't say should very often, but I don't think your wrist should hurt in yoga. I think it's okay for them to be a little sore, a little uncomfortable, but they really shouldn't hurt. The third thing that you can do to help your students keep their wrists safe and healthy is to actively encourage them to cross train. Yoga contains a lot of move, a lot of weight bearing on the upper body with a pushing movement. So pu- think pushing the floor away, and that can create compression in the carpal bones of the wrists. I love to share with my students how important it is to balance upper body pushing with upper body pulling, and that can be done with machines at the gym or pull up progressions on a simple bar or branch. And I'm gonna have a an extra add-on video that you can download or, or watch as a companion to this episode. So these pulling movements create loads that are very opposite and balancing for the pushing, and that feels especially great on the wrist. It can also be really nice for the shoulders. The fourth thing that you can do is please, please refer your students to clinicians and professionals. Cultivate a list of physical therapists that you can refer your students to if they complain of wrist pain. Not only do physical therapists spend four years in school full-time studying injury and rehabilitation in the human body, but they also have to take an extensive board examination to get their license. So to maintain their license, they need to do a lot of record keeping and a lot of boring details that we yoga teachers don't have to worry about. 
So by referring your student to somebody who has a license, that's a way of relieving yourself of some of the responsibility for knowing things that it's actually not even your job to know. A fifth way that you can support your students is to offer private sessions. The best way to determine appropriate exercises for an individual is in a one-on-one setting. In this private, customized setting, you can try different modifications while checking in with your student at every single step. So you can watch them closely for that point where they're able to do the pose or exercise with control and awareness and the point where they get overloaded and begin to cheat. And this is, gosh, this is such a huge thing that people are missing when they're only doing public classes. The teacher just can't keep an eye on all the students that closely. So also, if your student who you see privately is is seeing a physical therapist or another type of clinician, it's really helpful to get permission to communicate with them because they, if they're willing, if the clinician is willing, they can provide really clear guidelines on what to focus on and what, if anything, to avoid doing if there's any ranges of motion that your student should be avoiding for the time being. So there's some really simple guidelines for how yoga teachers can support their students in a class setting and then hopefully in a one-on-one setting. Now let's dive a little bit more deeply into the common challenges that people run into with yoga poses. There's two basic pieces to movement, especially to yoga movement. One is mobility. And the other is strength. So with mobility, we need to notice that we're asking people to bear weight on their wrists in a position that may be beyond their current actual range of motion. So if you are in a, if you're not driving and you have free hands, take a minute to bend your wrist back into the position that it would be in, for example, for a plank. Notice if you can get it to 90 degrees without using your other hand. Or how about using your hand? Can you get it it there? So if you can bend your wrist to 90 degrees without using your hand, that's your active range of motion. That puts you in a really good position to be able to add load, although it doesn't necessarily mean that your entire body weight is an appropriate load. If you need to use your other hand, then that puts you in a more vulnerable position because you're you're using your body weight to get you into that range of motion. And finally, some people can't reach that 90 degrees of flexion even using their other hand. So this is a very vulnerable situation to put your wrists into. And, and you want to be conscious of what you're actually working with with your students. Are, are the, do they have an active range of motion here, a passive range of motion, or are they dumping weight into their end range of motion just to be in a plank. Now, the the area of strength that I think is most important for wrist health is grip strength, which might be counterintuitive, might not be the most obvious. But basically, your grip strength is what allows you to control how you distribute the weight you're bearing on your wrists. So these are muscles in your forearms. And if you've ever had the experience, for example, in a crow pose where you were trying to lift 
some of the weight out of your wrists, but you just couldn't because it's too much weight, too much load, that's, that's what's going on there. So be aware that what some of us experience in crow or handstand, some of our students are experiencing just on their hands and their knees. So these are the two factors that we want to think about when we choose modifications for a specific yoga pose. And then also what types of supportive movement and exercise we can incorporate just to support healthy, strong wrists. For example, consider the different angle of the wrists in plank versus downward facing dog. Plank requires a lot more wrist mobility than downward facing dog does. So if a student complains that plank hurts, but downward facing dog is fine, then you can kind of have a little light bulb moment that mobility is probably a really big factor for them, but not necessarily the only factor. Speaking of down dog, it is a fantastic prep pose for people who aspire to do more arm balances, uh, crow, handstand, any arm balances. And I love to instruct my students, because this has been really helpful and powerful for me, to press their fingers into the ground and imagine themselves in an arm balance while they're in downward facing dog. So they get to work on that grip strength without being in that really intense position um, with so much flexion at the wrist. Now I'm going to share with you some of my go-to modifications and then some of my go-to supportive exercises. And remember that I'm making videos so that if, you know, if you can't picture exactly what I'm talking about just by listening, go check out the show notes and there'll be a link to a video for modifications and a video for exercises. The first thing when considering modifying a pose for wrists is just to make sure that their wrists are actually in an optimal position. So a lot of times people turn their hands in and that can cause pain in the wrist. So you can try to find the wrist neutral or even turned out slightly fingers spread without being, you know, crazy, crazy overactive. And then, of course, pressing fingers down into the floor. These are all really helpful. You can try moving the hand forward, like say if you're on hands and knees and you just move the hand an inch or two forward, that will reduce the angle of the bend of your wrist. Another thing you can do is there are wedges where you would place the taller side of the wedge under the heel of your hand and then let it kind of taper down towards your fingers. And that, again, just slightly reduces the angle of the flexion in your wrists. A great option for your students who are a little bit need more support, kind of the most supportive option, is to stack up two blocks under each arm and be on your forearms or potentially uh, two bolsters can do the same thing. I think blocks are a little more stable than the bolster, but it kind of depends on the actual density of, of the bolster that you happen to have access to. Again, that'll be in the video. Um, some poses will lend themselves to just being on the forearms 
without even having anything underneath. So for example, plank, forearm plank, that's a great modification. You don't even, you can put bolsters under your forearms for forearm plank versus regular plank, but you don't have to. The downside to that particular um, modification is that it's a little awkward. It takes a little time. So you would want to incorporate that more into a slower moving class. Another version that works well for me, um, but I would, I would mostly use this for your more, your fitter, stronger students, not your older students who might have osteopenia or osteoporosis um, or even arthritis, is to simply lift the heels of the hands off the ground and while keeping, keeping the fingers down, all of the knuckles down. So that I've heard called ridge tops before, and if you're really working your fingers into the ground, it helps build grip strength while keeping your wrists more neutral. And some people use fists. Uh, it's not my favorite. Um, if you do use fists, because it just happens to be kind of like what works best for you, I'd recommend definitely switching that up with some other, other modifications also. So those are the main modifications that I use as far as exercises, cues, and instructions. It, it bears repeating, press your finger pads into the floor or press your fingertips into the floor. This is so important. Some people cue to press the knuckles down as well, but I think that starts to get into other mobility limitations. And so for me, what I've evolved into is that just cueing the finger tips pressing down is most accessible and activates the right muscle groups in the simplest way. I also would advise to just invite some awareness to the sensation of the wrists because sometimes people come to yoga so used to ignoring their bodies that, that they don't even notice that their wrists are uncomfortable or maybe they even think that it's normal and okay. It's great to share information about the particular vulnerability that the wrists do have in yoga class and the benefits of modifying when your wrists start to feel sore or achy or hurt. Uh, some of the exercises I'm going to go over in the video include finger flicks, which is just thumb over uh, fingernails and then flicking out in a dynamic way. Wrist push-ups, which involve, you can do this at the wall for kind of a less load, but I do them on hands and knees, lifting the heels of the hands off of the floor repeatedly with, um, you know, leaning back further with less load or leaning forward with more load. And there's some different variations that I'll show you in the video. There's also, you can kind of do a forearm massage by kneeling and then letting your shin lean onto your forearm. That's nice for releasing those gripper muscles. You can use a massage ball at a table to do that also. Another fun thing that I'll show you in the video that again is not going to be for your, your like <laughs> really stiff, tight, weaker person, but feels fantastic for people who are working on arm balances and things like that, is to squat and compress your forearms inside, you know, the bend of your knees. I'll sh again, you got to see that one to understand it.
Finally, I love to do anytime that I know that I'm teaching things that are hard on the wrists or when I myself practice handstands, for example, which I love. There's a method of decompression where you can hold on to the pinky side of your wrist and pull, and I will often get um, a pop, and then just general massaging of that area can be really nice. Finally, I want to suggest, I think I've, I mentioned this earlier, but if you don't have a practice that includes upper body pulling, I think it is incredibly beneficial for everybody who practices yoga to install a pull-up bar in a doorway that they go through often and just several times a day hang from it. If you're working with a shoulder injury or, you know, just working with somebody who doesn't have a lot of muscle mass there, you might not lift your feet at first. You might just do a progression by letting your feet get lighter. But this has been one of the most amazing uh, counterbalance exercises for yoga. And I've talked to a ton of people who had wrist issues, sometimes also shoulder issues that got worse when they did a lot of yoga and improved when they started adding this hanging nutrient, this hanging component to their movement diet. So that those are the basics for my current guidelines, my current advice for helping your students keep their wrists safe and healthy and um, really enjoy and benefit from a yoga practice without having that one glaring challenge that a lot of people do run into. If you're up for an assignment this week, I would love for you to get a $15 or $20 pull-up bar from Target or Dick's or wherever, even Amazon works. I hate like I'm promoting these big corporations, but you know, it's helpful when it's easy to access and not expensive. So get yourself an maybe Craigslist. Maybe there'll be somebody selling one on Craigslist. Get yourself a pull-up bar, install it in a doorway that you go through often. And every time you walk through that door, just hang for a little bit, five seconds, 15 seconds. 30 seconds if you're feeling spicy. And please come to the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group and let me know how it feels for you, what your experience is of adding that into your movement. If you're not a member yet, I'd love to see you on there. You can just go to teachingyoga.net and click the Join Our Community tab. There's also a chance to sign up for my email newsletter there. And if you sign up for that, you will get an email every week reminding you and letting you know about what the current podcast episode is so that you don't even have to think about it. You can see whether it's a topic that you're interested in or not. And also, I send all of my subscribers extra free resources for yoga teachers. The first thing I send people is a list of 100 yoga class theme ideas. And there's other surprise prize resources that the longer you stay on the list, you get more things. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for caring about your students the way you do. And I will see you next week.